Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MUAC podcast. I am too lazy to say the full name this time, but I'm so happy that you're here. I'm your host, Julia, and I just want to ask, okay, have you, when was the last time that you just like played with makeup? Like when was the last time that you, you weren't doing it for an end goal, right? Like you weren't doing it to like put on social media, you weren't doing it to go out to an event or like, like you literally just sat there and you just played, just like let whatever happened happened and let the ideas come to you and just, just had a good time without any end goal thing, you know, like no destination, like you were on it for the journey. I did that recently. I were looking to buy a house. And so I'm really trying to downsize like straight up Marie Kondo, everything that I have so that What I take into the new house is just what I need. It's not any extra junky stuff. So I've been doing this and I started with my makeup because that is, that is the, aside from like maybe books and magazines, makeup is, I have so much. And I feel like some of you will probably relate to that. So I just started auditing and I started playing and there were some things that I like forgot I had and and other things where I was like, I've never used this. Like, what is this pigment on this eyeshadow? And so I just really got to like play and check in and and like (laughs) my fiance came home one day and I literally had swatches of products all up both arms and up both legs. Like I was wearing leggings. Okay. I was wearing leggings and I rolled them up and I pulled them up to above the knee and I just started swatching my lower legs with eyeshadow and like lip gloss and stuff. And when I tell you that some of those products are so potent that no matter how hard I scrubbed, it took like three showers to get that like pigment out of my skin. That's insane. So that's where I'm at. And I feel like I had been feeling very creatively blocked up and I just needed to just create without it being a job or being something that I felt like I had to get a certain end result. Like it was nice to just be free. Um, And I'm really grateful that, you know, I had the opportunity to do that and that it kind of pulled me out of that rut that I was in. So I know that a few people that have been on this podcast, a few guests have said, you know, they're different ways to tap back into your creativity when you're feeling blocked. And I feel like I experienced it firsthand. And I don't know if I'm describing it well, because I feel like there's, there's like the self-care that you do that you're like very aware, well aware, excuse me, well aware that it's happening. You're like, okay, I'm self-caring. I'm going for this walk and I'm enjoying nature, but I like, I'm still looking at my phone every five seconds or like whatever. But if there's one activity where you can just like play and just enjoy and just be in the moment that's what it's all about being in the moment if you can do that I highly encourage you to do that I feel like there is just we keep expecting things to get a little bit better in the world and there just seems to be more and more bad news is how I've been feeling and so I think having that space, creating that space to recharge in a way that's genuine to you is so, so, so important. And that's what I found out this week. And I'm so grateful that I did. Um, so yeah, I guess 
if you haven't taken the time to do that, I highly, highly recommend that you do. Um, but yeah, this episode started off very in the feelings and that's the vibe that it's going to be. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode where Amy talked you through her memories of, you know, beauty and the meaningfulness that it had for her, but also gave you real business advice. Like I think it was a really, really great episode in terms of if you want to start a beauty brain, if you want to go into product development, which I feel like a few of you might, um, she like gave like the truth, the nitty gritty. And like, that's the kind of stuff that if you don't want to do those things, like you might want to consider taking on a partner or you might want to consider like talking to other beauty brand founders or coming back to this podcast where I'm just going to have more and more people that I interview about this so that you get this knowledge and you get this awareness and you get this advice if that is something you want to do and maybe not. But I feel like this knowledge applies to more than just the beauty industry. So I feel like if you go into business for yourself at like a scale of some sort, then this advice is going to be very helpful. So I loved the episode. I learned so much from Amy and the learning is going to continue. The feels are going to continue because this week's guest is Terry Bryant. Terry is the founder of Guide Beauty, this amazing prestige product lineup that basically makes it super easy to put on gel eyeliner and do a wing or, you know, get the perfect brush of mascara or the perfect kind of eyebrow gel. Terry's been a makeup artist for years and she has taught makeup artists. She knows her business and she started seeing some mobility issues that she was having just in terms of being able to apply her makeup. And um, it took her some time, but she did get a diagnosis and it opened up this world for her of how can we design products that are for everyone? So she talked about those moments and what kind of her journey in life to founding this company, which is focused on universal design. And I didn't know what that was at first. So Terry broke it down for me in terms of when we create products, are we creating them with truly everyone in mind? And it's a really thoughtful conversation. We get existential from time to time, and it's just an amazing energy, I thought. Um, So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and you love my conversation with Terry. Terry, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, You and I have been chatting briefly before we hit that record button, and I just have to say right off the bat, and I would be saying this even if I didn't hit the record button, your energy is just so beautiful and soothing, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, you just made my day. I feel like earlier in the day was a disaster. Like you you have those days where I'm running from one meeting to the next and then there's the dog and then I dropped a glass on the floor and I'm trying to scoot the dog out and I'm late for something. And so you get a little bit like, you know, ah, all scattered. Um, But yeah, but sitting down with you right back at you is what I'm saying. You have a lovely energy and what you just said made my day. So all of that, all that crazy just washed away. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, I woke up for some reason at four in the morning and I could not get back to sleep. And I was like, well, might as well just start my day. And it's been nonstop. And and yeah, just sitting down with you with your beautiful decor. I was like, okay, we're here. I love it. It's gonna be lovely. (laughs) Yes. So I want to launch right in. I want to talk about guide. But before we get there, I want to rewind all the way back. And I want to know where your love of beauty started and how it led you here. Okay. 
All right, here we go. My love of beauty. All right. Um, I think probably like most makeup artists, right? We, we always say like right at the beginning, so early mm -hmm. on, but you know, I, I certainly, the beginnings of it were probably with my mom, like, you know, back in the day when what are now considered legacy brands were the only thing that existed, right? It was before there were makeup artist brands and influencer brands and celebrity brands. It was, you know, the biggies, right? Uh, and in my town in Rochester, New York, uh, the Chanel counter was where you went and you would go see Cesar. He was like the makeup artist to see. And my mom would take me with her four times a year when they launched their seasonal collections. And I would watch her in the chair and Cesar would like, he'd just celebrate her, right? Like he just, and she would get up at the end and they had a ball and I would be playing with makeup and we would go home with, you know, her full collection. And she just always like, just lifted her. Like she felt like, you know, she was a busy mom and she worked hard. And sometimes, you know, she put everybody else before her. And like that day was yeah. about her and just felt like it just made her feel good. And I thought, well, I want to do that. And then she would put the make her makeup in the bathroom and say, now this is mom. So like, don't, please don't touch that. And I would say, of course, like what kind of child do you think I am? I will never touch your makeup. And then I would go in there, lock the door and then it would all just like blow up. Right. And I played for hours. So Same. I think yeah, right. So it started, it started there, but I was also growing up and probably most people will say this. I was an awkward kid. Right. And I'm probably still an awkward adult. I just don't care anymore. Right. But awkward to the point where I didn't always know how to connect with people. I spent a lot of time by myself and most of my, my creative outlet was playing with makeup and I would just sit on the floor and I would just play for hours on end. And my, you know, the only difference between painting a picture, right, is that the canvas was my face. And I was probably a little awkward because I was insecure and I didn't, you know, I wanted to be a lot of, we hear this over and over again too, right? Like you want to be a lot of things that you're not. So I thought that maybe if I was like a little thinner, if I was a little blonder, if my nose was a little smaller, all these things. So just sitting by myself playing and I think at some point I realized there, there was something about makeup that sort of changed my, the way I perceived myself. You know, so like you're creating a look and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to like accentuate my nose. I'm going to make my eyes look bigger. I'm gonna, whatever it was, every time I liked what I did, I think there was kind of this moment of, well, if I like the makeup, I kind of have to like and love the canvas I built it on. And so as I started to sort of appreciate my own features, I eventually started to learn to love the whole and I think when that happened, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, now I want to do this. And then people would sit in front of me and I do their makeup. And for somebody who didn't know how to connect with people, I, I mean, I can't even think of a time when somebody has sat in my makeup chair and you, right, you don't connect. Like, how can you not connect? It's so rare because they're in your chair and you're like, mm -hmm. it's all about you. Let's, I'm celebrating you. And so they, it's like this vulnerable moment, but then you're open and you're, it's just that, that whole thing. I just think it. I am who I am today because of all those moments playing with makeup. Yeah, no, that's, oh, that's so important. And yeah, I remember I, I, I too is very, very awkward, would lift some makeup from my mom. And <laughs> my first memory was I actually was trying to look cute for a boy as you know, it happened when I was in a tween. And I remember I went over to my friend's house and she had this like black, black, carbon black eyeshadow. And so I was like, I'm going to do a smoky eye like I see in Vogue and all these magazines. <laughs> and I gave myself just a solid raccoon eye, went to like the, the baseball field or whatever where they were. The boys were like playing their sports. And I was like, oh, I'm cute. But that moment unlocked something in me in terms of a confidence I felt 
in terms of, oh, this, and I say this all the time, whenever anyone sits in my chair, I agree with you. It's such a vulnerable moment. And the one thing that I say to always put my clients at ease is I'm not here to change anything. I'm just here to help you bring out the best in yourself. So everything that I'm going to, that I'm doing, I'm going to walk you through so that when you go home, you feel comfortable doing it too. Cause we've all had those, those clients that sit in our chair and they're like, do whatever you want. I know when I leave, I'm not going to be able to replicate it. And I Uh see that as almost a challenge. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, we're going to do this because it's so much more about empowerment than it is just, I mean, it is playful. It is fun. And that's one of the joys of it, but it also can be such a powerful emotional experience. Right. When people all of a sudden at that moment of like, oh, that's me. Like you start to you really start to appreciate yourself in a way I think that you might not have otherwise when that happens. And there it's it's so true. But like I can never do this for myself. And you're like, oh no, no, yes, you can. You're not getting out of this chair (laughs) until you can do this for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Oh, makeup um, hostage, right? <laughs> makeup hostage. Yeah. Makeup ma- we are the makeup mafia. Makeup mafia, right. Really, yeah. I took something lovely and I just turned that right around. That's that's okay. That's the Rick. And I do remember I'm just a little older, but remember the whole like obviously the whole vamp moment with Chanel? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and then like on the heels of that was Phantom which was that yeah. like perp, that dark black purple. Mm-hmm. I wore that every day for probably a year of my life. And I thought it was fabulous. I just found pictures of it just last week. And I was like, oh my, what was it? That I look like a corpse. It's it's horrifying. I look terrible. I mean, the lipstick was fabulous. Yeah. Not on me. But, but, so apparently every decision I made was not, not a perfect one. But at the time, seemed on trend, seemed okay. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that's how you learn. If you're, if I feel like if you're only doing things that work for you, then how are you to know otherwise? And I agree with you. It's such an individualized type of work and art and medium. And I think that's kind of both sides of the same coin of all of this, these visual resources that exist currently, you know, you have YouTube and all of these tutorials and they're so incredible. There's more access to information than ever before. But I think one thing that people need to realize is everyone looks different. And so that perfect wing on, on a lid that isn't hooded, mine Mm -hmm. is, I'm not going to be able to replicate that wing. I need to to find someone that has a hooded eye to be able to see what they're doing. What can I pick up from them? And so there is a, a personal piece to it. I think that that we need to weed through and find find our 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 little tribe, so to speak, our right. our, our community. Yeah, because it's not yeah. cookie cutter, right? And if the whole point is that we're celebrating the individual, celebrating mm-hmm. your features, drawing them out, so and saying, you know today let's focus on what the eyes and nose but they're yours and so it's not yeah. going to be the same recipe across the board and even going back to the way I looked in that phantom lipstick which was ridiculous but at the time I loved it and my days were great when I put on that lipstick I owned the world like I was so it actually probably didn't even matter that I looked ridiculous because at the time I felt fabulous and so that's okay too right yeah no absolutely I mean I think that's the most important piece because yeah. I would rather 
I would personally, I would rather wear something that I love, even if maybe I look back on photos and think, oh, maybe not the best choice, then wear something that's quote on trend, right? And feel yes. like I'm not myself. That's right. That's yeah. and, and probably, yeah, when you do feel comfortable and confident, you look your best, right? Like yeah. that's what it's all about. But but even again, it, like for all those years that I had people in the chair and I thought, Oh, I got for some reason, because there's very few things I'm just naturally good at. For some reason, I took to makeup. And obviously, you have to build upon a skill set. And I got better as I went. But for some reason, I took to it. So for years, I thought, well, who better to teach somebody than me? Because, or, or you know, or the, the experts should be able to do it. And, I, you know, I'd like to think along the way, because, you know, I did, you know, I was a makeup artist for years. I started doing, developing education programs for companies, um, teaching either the consumer directly or teaching the makeup artist how to teach others how to apply makeup, whatever it was, you know, hopefully I made a difference, but I still felt like there were always roadblocks, right? Like it's one thing to understand the steps to, to application and something so different to actually go home and execute them. And I always, I always reference my Bob Ross painting party. Uh, if you remember Bob Ross. Oh, like, I love Bob Ross. I love Bob Ross. Talk about a soothing voice, right? Yes. I loved Bob Ross and I always wanted to have a painting party and wear Bob Ross wigs and like, and everybody had canvases, canvas and paints. And we like, we watched and we had our cocktails and it was so much fun. And he was very clear in his directions, right? He's like, he was brush number three. Here's the oil paint. You're going to draw a stroke here and here's your happy little tree. And at the end of it, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't just the cocktails, my trees did not look happy. Like I could not for the life <laughs> of me get the hang of it. And I thought, well, that's the kind of the same thing, right? Like I understood exactly what he was telling me to do. It didn't mean I could do it. And so when I kept thinking, I could always show you, I could always make you confident. You're always going to be able to go home because I'm going to write down the steps. I'm going to show you how some things went in terms of makeup, some skills, some techniques are challenging. They're just inherently challenging. Not everybody has a perfectly steady hand. I don't think any makeup artist has ever said, I'll be there in two seconds. I'm just going to throw on this wig eyeliner, right? Like some things are nope. not the easiest. So, um, you know, but at the time I didn't quite recognize that. I just kept thinking, I'll figure this out. I'll find a way because I know how to do this. I understand the mechanics of artistry. I'm going to show you, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And it's also so different doing it on someone else than doing it yeah. on yourself. Like when I had tried to do my own makeup, I go for as simple as possible these days because I can't, I don't know if it's my like peripherals are horrible or I'm not, I don't have the flexibility or what, but it's, I don't even bother stressing myself out. I can yeah. throw a wing on someone else with a flick of a wrist, but on myself, I'm like, okay, I can't, I have to look here and look down and like, okay, I'm, I'm too close. I'm too far. It's blurry. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. The it's mirror, hard. having to do it in the mirror changes mm -hmm. everything. Just dead on with somebody, somebody, with somebody's face in front of you, you get a perception and there's a, there's sort of, you know, you, that you lose. There's a certain depth that you lose. There's a certain understanding and sort of placement you lose and ease when you put it on yourself, which is funny because, right, like, I don't think most people would expect that the pros would say, well, I don't always do this so well on myself, but it's true, right? It's not, mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes us a minute. We'll figure it out, but sometimes it takes a minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on sets where I've been able to just throw on a lash or throw on a wing, no problem. And people ask me all the time, you know, what are your tips and tricks? And I'm like, oh, I sometimes still mess it up when I have to do it on myself. <laughs> my, my tips and tricks are always have Q-tips and some micellar <laughs> water handy you go. and patience and kindness to yourself. And that's, that's all you problem. need. 
That's pretty well, yeah. It's kind of like my similar tip is getting to makeup, not hair, because it's makeup. You can wash it off. Don't be afraid of it. The worst case scenario is that didn't work. I'm going to get my micellar water, take it off with my Q-tip and start over. Whereas if I got into hairdressing and I cut somebody's hair and I botched it up, you know, come back in a year when, <laughs> when that grows back, totally different. But makeup is just sort of a very, I feel like it's freeing. It's easy to clean off that canvas and start over, yeah. uh, you know, but, uh, you know, but with that said, at some point in my career, obviously that, you know, the natural skills that I had started to shift. Like I could know that something weird was going on. I was like, huh. And I'm not sad. I should have been able to knock this look out in 20 minutes and it's been an hour and I don't know what's happening. So, you know, uh, there was a shift along the way in my career that sort of changed my perspective completely and obviously ended ended me up where I am today. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that shift and let's talk about um, how you came to create such a revolutionary brand. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, you know, people always ask me if I, did you always want to start your own company? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no. I mean, when I was like in my twenties, I was all about it. Like I'm going to live it. You know, everything was in New York. I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to be the big head of education. I'm going to start my own company. And then by the time I hit my thirties, I was like, I'm going to retire early. I'm going to go to Palm Springs. I'm going to wear caftans the rest of my life. It's going to be easy. But like you know, you change things, shifted a little bit. Um, but then you know, life kind of knocked me upside the head and changed everything. Um, and in some ways, not so great. In some ways really beautiful and wonderful. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was running sort of a, my career was running parallel paths. I was developing these education programs in the beauty world. I was working somewhat in product development and I was working as a makeup artist and without really knowing it, like 11 years ago, you know, and, and there are, there was like a very distinct moment for short that I was on set and I was working on a model I worked on numerous times and it was a look I'd done, you know, just like fresh, clean, pretty, right? Like, but mm-hmm. I was struggling. Like I couldn't get the brows even. I couldn't get the liner on. I was moving really slowly. Like it wasn't terrible, but there was some sort of, like, you know, I used to always say my, like my hand and my arm were this very direct extension of my mind's eye. Like I would look at somebody's face, see how I wanted to celebrate it. And then just like whatever tool was in my hand, like just make it so, right? And my hand just wasn't doing it. I was like, huh, that's odd. Let's ignore that. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. pretend that didn't happen. And like, and that was eleven years ago. And like, and those moments kept happening. And so, and along the way, I was like talking to people. I went to to doctors and asked what was wrong. And the usual answer was, "Well, you're getting older, and this is what happens. And you know, are you getting enough rest? Are you drinking enough water? You're taking your vitamins? Uh, do you work out?" And I was like, "Well, no, no, I don't do any of that." So they're like, "Well, that's it, honey. You're like, you're just getting old." And I was like, "Well." kind of a crummy thing to say to me, but all right, I'll go with that. That's better than something's really wrong. Um, And so people ignored it. So I ignored it. Um, But I was also able to sort of pivot my career because I had been doing both things. So I just found myself, if you called me for a a one day shoot, it was one model, it was easy. I might say yes. And if you called me for fashion week or some, some like something with a lot of movement, fast paced, a lot of people in and out of chair, I'd say no, because I just knew without knowing what was going on that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, you know, over the years that disconnect my hand continued enough where there was a point where I just said, I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to be the makeup artist, at least on set anymore. I'm going to, I can go on air on QVC and HSN for brands and talk about makeup artistry. I can continue writing education programs, but I'm, I'm not that person and still don't know what's going on. And then like six years ago, the little disconnect in my hand progressed enough that um, I started actually having trouble doing my own makeup. And I was like, all right, well, this is, this is freaking crazy. Like this cat. 
you know, my friends aren't taking all their vitamins either. <laughs> and they don't seem to be, they don't seem to be having this problem. Like my arm was locking up and it was painful. And um, yeah, and I just like couldn't quite like I would I would I would know what I wanted to do. My right handwriting was getting incredibly small. Like there was all these weird things, and I was going to see a physical therapist and they would work out more and stretch and and it was eventually through a series of of, uh, of events, I ended up in the right place and in front of the right doctor who like in about two seconds said to me, I think you have Parkinson's. And I was like, huh. I mean, it was really very quick. And I said to him, um, you know, one to 10, like if you were a betting man, like how sure do you think you are thinking no doctor will ever answer that question? And he said, I'm going to give it a nine. I was like, oh, wow. a nine. That is you are pretty, pretty stinking sure, aren't you? All right. So, you know, we, at that point, you know, he sent me to another specialist and we ran through all the tests and, and, uh, you know, by the time I got the actual diagnosis, you know, you could see it coming. Right. But I always tell the story that I was in the doctor's office. My father was with me. He's a retired physician and the, the uh, PA came in and sort of delivered the news. Right. And when they left, uh, my dad said, you know, sweetie, you, you are right. You kind of look like you blanked out there for a minute uh where, where'd your brain go and I was like well I don't know I don't know it's probably all over the place but the truth is what ran through my head very quickly is how am I going to do my makeup right like you go through the thought process like well you could get your hair blown out once a week somebody could take care of that like if this is going to progress right like which mm-hmm. likely it is who knows at what rate um and you know caftan cocktail ring that's an easy outfit to get on I can figure mm-hmm. that moment out like makeup well, that's a daily thing, right? Like my husband's not going to do it for me. My father's not going to do it for me. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it means, you know, it's beyond my livelihood, right? It's like, it's been my career. It's my creative outlet, my friendships, the way I've connected. It's my community. Like it means too much. So all of a sudden I got this kind of tunnel vision, which happens to me, which is, well, all right, at least I know what's going on. And I kind of, and that day ran home. And like a crazy person pulled out my kit of makeup and then I pulled out a toolkit from, <laughs> from the, from my well storage, I call it the garage, but it's not really a garage, but that's, it doesn't matter. Um, and started to like pull apart everything I had. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. Like now at least I know what's happening. Maybe I can, if I understand the mechanics of makeup artistry, maybe I can create some tools or figure out a way that I can get myself back in the game. I was working on all these prototypes. And at one point I had something, it kind of looked like a finger puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the mascara wand, like the little mascara balls, uh, yeah. that are balls. and I had it sort of stuck into the top and I was doing this kind of motion where I was resting against my finger and kind of blinking into it. At that point, my hands were really kind of shaky. And I remember looking at my husband saying, well, honey, this is actually really easy. This is amazingly easy. Wouldn't this have been great if I had this all those years that, you know, for the thousands of people who sat in my chair and said, makeup isn't easy for me. Wouldn't have been great if I had this for them and, oh, wait a minute, all right? Like, that's the kind of that, that, you know, obviously you don't wish for the bad things, but if you give it a beat, something beautiful can be born. It's kind of when I sort of realized this could be bigger than me. Like, I spent my entire life, or at least my entire career, trying to figure out how to make makeup easier for people, but I couldn't put myself in their shoes because I didn't understand the disconnect. I only understood the natural ability. And, you know, certainly at that time, and still even now, my Parkinson's you know, presents in a fairly moderate way. It's not that bad, but it put me in a space where I now understood the disconnect. So I thought, well, wait a minute, maybe I could start reimagining makeup and tools in a way that could help somebody like me who has Parkinson's or MS or arthritis or whatever's going on in your world. 
or you're just the person who says, I've never been really very good at this, or I'm actually not bad at this, but I don't have time, or I'm fantastic at this, but maybe I'd like to try a better way, right? Like, so what if I can make this beyond? And so I worked on prototypes for myself for like six months, almost to somewhere between six months to a year, and then realized I needed to like take it next level. And that's when we took it to a design team who introduced us to universal design, which is like a whole other exciting moment. Uh, But like, that was like, that was the path. Wow. Wow. I thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's such a big part of your story, but it, it takes openness and vulnerability to, to talk about that. And I don't think it's talked enough about in the industry that there's this whole subset of people who don't have like they can't use the normal products they can, but it's, it's way more difficult than it should be. And yeah, it's you're specifically the eyeliner. Cause I actually wrote on my blog, a piece about guide beauty a while ago. And I was like, this brand is revolutionizing what we're thinking about because that was the biggest thing that I had heard from just anyone. Um, even folks that, you know, were able to do every other aspect of their makeup. They're like, I can't do a wing. I can't do a liner. What do I do? What do I do? And I was like, okay, well, this product exists. And it's the final design that you ended up with is really cool. Cause it's almost like a, it's almost like a pop socket that people put on their phones, but it's on the tube. And yeah, like how long did it take you to get to that final design? And what was that moment like for you? Were you like, we got it? Did you party? Did you have that Bob Ross party? <laughs> did you have a Bob Ross? <laughs> um, he- yeah, maybe not a Bob Ross party, but it's mm-hmm. funny. I should go back and try that again, maybe with a, a new tool. You know, it took us, you know, by the time, so there was about six months to a year, somewhere between, I guess it was probably about eight months that I was working on it by myself. And then we went to a design team that specializes in human factories engineering. They introduced us to a concept called universal design, which is a really interesting concept. It kind of, the, the theory is it's a, it's a design method and the outcome is greater accessibility. And, um, you know, I started with something called inclusive design. Sorry, I'm sort of jumping all over the place and I can go back and explain what those are, but started with inclusive design, Mm -hmm. then sort of merged into universal design. Both of those methods, design methods, along with many others, the outcome is greater accessibility. But with universal design, the concept is if you factor in for those who have a greater need, you ultimately, you not only invite them to the party when they were never invited before, but you actually create a better product and process for the whole. So now people who couldn't join the party get to join and people who are already at the party get to have a better time while they're there, right? And it's such a beautiful concept. And we actually use things that are universally designed in our lives every single day, but we're not even aware of it, right? And that's what I, and it took us two and a half years. It took us uh, with over 200 test users and over a hundred iterations of that wand to get to where we are today. Wow. It was process. Like, and, and it was like the learning in that was, you know, I thought we'd get there. We'd like, you know, we'd sit down with the designers. I'd bring all my, my, my prototypes and my renders and we'd talk it through and I'd give them my lesson and they'd give me theirs and they'd go you know, back to their design station and come back. And I, maybe there'd be a couple of moments where we'd go back and forth, but then there it was going to be. What I had to learn quickly was that this process means you have to invite 
everybody at the table in the design process. So you have to cast the, that was the 200 users, right? You have to cast the widest net possible in, in the design phase. So we invited everybody into the session. Pro makeup artists, newbies to makeup, Parkinson's, MS, are the, again, that whole list and said, can we just watch it play? Let's watch it play. And then you watch them play with the first with their tools, then with your prototypes, and you have to wait until they hit a roadblock. And when they hit a roadblock, the first time it happened, I was like, ah, oh, we stink. We blew it. And then uh, Julie, who's one of the, the head designers on our team, was like, this is the best thing that could happen. I was like, why is that? She can't do it. Why is that the best thing that ever happens? Because that's the opportunity to make it better. That's how this process is going to go. Your best bet, your hope, your dream is that you're going to hand it to somebody and they're going to hit a roadblock because that'll allow us to continually get better and better and better. And it's a never ending process, right? Because universal design says, let's cast the widest net so the broadest audience possible can come and play and use your product and play with makeup. But that doesn't always mean everybody, right? So there's always going to be more we can do. So it, it takes it takes a while, but when we got to the point where we were at, like it, it was, you know, I was so excited and as excited as I was that first time I had to go out there with it, I was so sure, right? Like for years, I was like, this is it. This is it. I know exactly what I'm doing. That flight to New York, to meet with the beauty, the beauty editors. It was the first time ever I was with my husband. And all of a sudden on the flight, I was like, honey, what if they don't like it? He was like, what? He's like, after all this time, now, right now, we're on the plane going. We're going to, I was like, I, yeah, I know, but what? Just just in case, what if? And he's like, well, we'll, we'll have a lot of makeup. We'll go home. We'll, we'll figure it like it's all good. And fortunately, it went well. But even when you get it right, Anytime you're changing something, there's a change curve for people. And some people are early adopters and some people are like, wait, I'm not sure. And that's the whole other process to go through. So, you know, you just got to kind of ride with it a little bit. Um, but it is a, it is really a beautiful process. I mean, I wish, I think the biggest thing for me in my, in, in what's, and everything's kind of happened to me is that, or in my life, and that's allowed me to see things in a new way, is I realize that I think you know, one of the first articles that came out was, um, it was, uh, is accessibility uh, the final frontier and includes, uh, right, like kind of in, in beauty industry. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because accessibility is an outcome, right? And there's a lot of talk about disability and there's a lot of talk about um, accommodation and all of those things. There's nothing wrong with those words. Those words are important. There's value to them in certain contexts. The problem is, that the industry as a whole, and generally people even with, with best best interest at heart or best intentions, make it become an us and them moment. Why would any company invest in creating for a smaller subset of people if they don't think it's going to financially benefit them? It doesn't meet the needs of the whole. But when you look at it through a universal design perspective and lens, then you realize you're you're actually making a smarter business decision. It's the right thing to do. You're bringing more people into onto the into the table. You're giving more access, right? Accessibility is the outcome, but it's this design for we moment, right? And then it makes more sense for other brands to do it. And I hopefully, like that was that that first article that came out. I was like, hopefully that that narrative starts to shift and people kind of start to understand that, right? It's for the same reason that we should have, you know, all genders, all skin tones, all mm -hmm. levels of skill set and ability, right? Like all of that is what it's about. Um, so yeah, I think. I think that's that's kind of the hopefully the biggest moment, and I hope I hope people's perspective will change. Right, it takes a minute. 
Yeah. Yeah. I read, I actually saw that article and I saw that headline and I was a little offended just as being a member of the beauty community. I, I am always raising my voice for more inclusivity, not only in front of the camera, but on sets like who are we representing? Who are we being represented by when we put these images, these videos, these, these products, because everything that we put out into the world is infused with our energy. So what kind of energy do we want to put out into the world? And I saw that and I was like, no, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of greater inclusivity and, and greater respect for, for our fellow human beings um, and the space that we all kind of live in together and celebrate ourselves and each other in. Um, So yeah, I agree with you, but I think, yeah, there's always this, you know, what buzzwords can we use? What can we hype up in marketing? What can we, you know, get people excited about with these words? And it's like, okay, great. I mean, like I get it. And if it gets people in the door and it's the hook, that's great. But let's make sure the sentiment behind it is rooted in that human piece is my opinion. Um, And it is true, right? Like it's true. And it's a lovely way to to look at it and and your your perspective obviously is you you see it, right? Like, and you can't always be, sometimes you're just not aware until you're aware. And I also want to be careful because I, you know, sometimes, you know, I think people can be afraid to even enter a conversation because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, right? Like, Mm-hmm. If this is, you know, if I, if I don't come from this world, am I going to offend somebody? And then there's people who just don't care and look going to say whatever they want. But like, yeah, so, so, uh, you know, even the word disability, it's, an, it's important, right? Like when I feel horrendous, when I can't get out of bed, when my arm locks up and I'm like, can't move, right? Like then having Parkinson's from a health perspective is disabling, but, you know, when somebody says disabled makeup artist creates products for like disabled makeup artists, I have Parkinson's that can be disabling, but, and I, and I, I want that word to stay in that moment. But when it comes to my makeup or the things I interact with, right? Like at that point, there's, there's the World Health Organization actually has, has a, a redefinition of disability and they changed it from a medical model to a societal model, or at least added in that definition. So I think there's place for both of them. But the medical model says disability is sort of a physiological or cognitive impairment in somebody, right? The societal model says disability is a mismatch or disconnect between any given person's spectrum of abilities and the objects they interact with. And I think what happens sometimes is when we jump out and say, it's the, the, put the disability first, then it makes, I don't want to have to own that. I don't want to have to feel like there's something wrong with me. And that's why I can't use this product. I think the societal model, if this makes sense, um, in the roundabout way I'm saying it says, let me put the onus on the object first. It's not because I have Parkinson's, it's because somebody maybe wasn't thoughtful enough to include my needs in this design. And so, um, you know, I'm certainly not a disabled makeup artist when I have my guide wand in my hand, right? Like, and there's a, there's a, an important distinction, I think, between the two. And, and the same thing with any, like, I guess, any other level of inclusion, right? Like, it's just about factoring in for as many people as you can so that, you know, nobody has to feel like it's because they don't fit in. There's something wrong with them. It's their problem. Like I'd like to put the onus on the design first. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And if we want to get sociological, I'm more than happy to, because (laughs) I feel like this is, 
our society as a whole, we moved, you know, into this industrialized society where the more labor that people can put in and the more successful they are or the more they contribute to, you know, the society and the the economy and the more physically they're able to contribute the more that that wheel keeps spinning. But mm-hmm. now we are undergoing again this revolution, this technological revolution, and I have a background working at startups, specifically healthcare startups. And oh, wow. our philosophy was always easy, uh, hard on the process, easy on the people, meaning let's make sure that our operations are finely tuned. Let's make sure that the products that we're using and creating are finely tuned. Let's make sure our vendors really give us what we need so that our employees, our people are able to bring their creativity. They're able to bring their empathy and they're able to be the best kind of idea giver, problem solver, um, balanced human being they can be because all of these other things are automating what they used to have to do when the nation industrialized. Mm -hmm. And so I completely agree with you, but I think there is this old mentality of like, you still have to burn yourself out and work yourself to the bone in order to be a successful member of society. And that's just, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, I don't believe it's true. And I don't, and I, and I would love to see our society's idea of that shift in general. Um, because I would love to see us put more onus, like you were saying, on the products and on the technologies and on on those kinds of things. Because what are we making them for if not to make our own lives easier so that we're not burning out or getting frustrated? It, I love that. So it's it hard. It was again, I want it because I think I got to write it down and steal it from you. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, hard on the design, easy on the people. Is that what it might be? Difficult. You could oh, use that. Hard on the process, easy hard on, on the, the people. Process. Yeah, I'm, I'm switching it to design part in the processes. I love it. I love yeah. it. I might have to call you back and write it down because my brain is a sieve and I'm going to go after when I'm talking, I'm going to go run to my husband and be like, listen to this line. And then I'm going to be hard on the people, easy on the stuff. I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> I am giving you, I'm going to get it on record right now. You can call me anytime you oh, want. You can thanks. text me anytime you want. Open door. Um, yeah, I. but I, I agree with you. I think... I think there has to be like we're seeing the actual tangible industries shift a little bit. And yeah. now I think ideologically it's time for us to catch up to that as well. Well, it's even interesting when you look at like, you know, the, the state of the world that we're in and, you know, for you know, the past two years now, how long has it been? It's been, feels like forever. Like my husband went, no longer exists. No longer exists, right? I mean, I used to be on a plane every other day. My husband went into an office. We're working from home and we have, all the mechanisms and the technology and the, and the tools in place to work successfully from home, right? And we all thought we couldn't do it before. And clearly we can, right? And then there's a whole bunch of people who for years prior to the, you know, COVID shutting us down, who were working from home because there was no other way for them to do it, right? Because there was some physical limitation that didn't allow them to go into the office and they had to figure it out, right? And our lives became easier in this COVID moment, mm-hmm. because that those that technology was made right for that greater need. Now we all get to benefit. It's like even the remote control for our TV, right? Like, yeah, it, it, which was originally designed for people who couldn't physically get up and cross the room to turn a TV on and off, right? Like, 
you had to factor in. It's like this. Uh, it was August de los Reyes was this great uh, designer and and sort of on the forefront of inclusive design. And he always called sort of inclusive and universal design like these love stories. Like somebody saw that somebody they loved couldn't do something. They're like, all right, well, let's fix it for them. And let's say it's the remote control for the TV. My grandma can't get up and cross the room. My my whoever it is, right? So I'm going to create the remote control. And then you fast forward to, you know, whatever, uh, last month when I got a new TV, if there wasn't a remote control in that box, I would have thought it was broken, right? Like, I would not know. I don't even know where the button on my TV is, right? Like, and I don't think twice about it because it wasn't my challenge, but I certainly am happy that technology exists, right? Like, that's kind of the moment, right? Where, and, and yeah, made my life so much easier. I don't know. There's just so... There's such a new way, I think, again, and you don't know until people talk about it, but this is the time to talk about it, right? Like there has been certainly a shift in consciousness for a moment now, right? That started mm-hmm. to start with one group and then it sort of evolves and grows and it hopefully it's that domino effect and the more conversations that happen, this is how it's done, right? Like, I don't know if there's any other way to get there. There's never kind of that like, you know, blink of the eye, uh, you know, I forget what was her name, the little nose wiggle thing and it's like happens. Oh, and Bewitched, Bewitched. Samantha. Samantha, oh, God, you're good. <laughs> I watched so many of those shows with my grandma growing up as a little girl. Oh. Those are like my nostalgia shows. Oh, I love it. I'm the worst. Like, this is why nobody wants to play any games with me because I'm like, it's, you know, the guy, the guy with the thing who had the nose. With the, like, I can never remember. So somebody like he was perfect for me because you knew, I don't know how you knew immediately that I was talking about Bewitched, but thank you for that. I will be on your team anytime. You're wild. That definitely could have taken me a while. (laughs) (laughs) I will be on your team anytime. Happy to. (laughs) So what is the difference between inclusive design and universal design? So, you know, I I mean, they're definitely, I kind of consider them siblings and, you know, I think they're, if you read up on it, I think you see some different definitions, but at, at the very core, inclusive design, it usually Let's start with universal design. Universal design sort of focuses on the output. It's that it's that process of casting that widest net possible, right? Bringing as many players into the room in the design process so that you can factor in for as many needs and create um, a product or a process that is as universally usable and appealing as possible, right? Whereas inclusive design sort of focuses either on an individual or a smaller group and, and sort of um, is based on the sort of belief that if I can solve for them as a result, I will create a better product or process for the whole. Which is why I kind of say, and, and let me know if that made sense, but uh, yeah. I, I kind of, that I, I feel like I kind of went through both. I feel like my process started in the inclusive design space where mm-hmm. you know, it started with my own need. And I started to design for, for the one, right? And, and realized, wait a minute, if I start creating these tools for my own needs, because I can feel that disconnect and I can start making it more stable, I can start fixing grip. I'm pretty, pretty stinking sure this is going to be better for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of, you know, in, in, in not a professional way, that's kind of the, the easiest way for me to say that's inclusive design. When I transferred into universal design, I said, well, now I want to prove it. And, mm-hmm. and so with that moment, that's the universal design. It's like, now let me invite everybody and let me cast that wide net. Let me make sure and start designing and making sure that, because I might miss something in that process, at least for what I wanted to do, right? Like I know what it feels like to have a shaky hand, to lose some stability. Um, but I, you know, I don't know what it feels like to have every sort of limitation or challenge or whatever it is. So I wanted to make sure 
in the process that I could make it as universally, you know, accessible as, as humanly possible. And then knowing that when you do that, you still have to keep, keep looking and watching because there's always going to be a, a way to do it better. And so, you know, like I always say, I, I appreciate accommodation. I don't dream or long of it for it, right? I dream and long for inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. So if you accommodate for me, thank you. Very nice. Appreciate it, right? Like, <laughs> no, no disrespect. I, I'm glad you thought of me. But inclusion says, right, like you were really thought of in this design process. This was made for you the same way it was made for anybody else. With that said, there's going to be times when, you know, a universal design, a universally designed product should have multiple ways to use it, right? Mm-hmm. So that the user can adjust according to their own needs. And so, you know, with that broader, broad, you know, that broader net, that broader cast that somebody picks up, let's say, a wand or a mascara or a brow, and they can use it, whether they hold it between the first two fingers or the last, whether they, they hold the wand a little higher up or a little lower on, on you know, on the, on the base, that they'll be able to find an easier way to achieve those makeup techniques that, you know, you want to get. Every once in a while, you're going to hit somebody who says, I, this, the way it's designed isn't quite there for me yet. So that's when we invite them in and say, all right, great. This is the opportunity. Let's figure out. And it may be an accommodation because you can't always fit everything into one, or it may be that it becomes the next iteration of your design, right? So the next guide wand has one more element and you just keep going. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, that's so incredible. I wish, I wish all brands thought in this way. You know, it's, it's, thank you. Me too. <laughs> it is a moment though, right? Like, I mean, the more you do it, cause it's obviously, you know, it, we know how it works. Right. And, the, and it's still, it's a beautiful process. Like there's, so, it's rare that I don't find a makeup company that there's something in there that I love. Right. Um, but you know, the, the way that I would do it in the past, if I was working for a company is we would, you know, work on the formulas, we'd have an idea, we would go find the component, the component would exist, and then we'd deco it the way we wanted, and then we'd create it, and then you'd put it out there into the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our community was already with us because they were part of the design process, but when you are, when you're creating a tool from scratch, you have to custom tool, and the process of that is, is long, and the minimums on that are quite high. And so I understand yeah. why I understand why not everybody's jumping to do it because it's, you know, it's a moment and there are costs yeah. involved. Um, the more people do it, then those will become those, those, uh, you know, the components that become the stock components that other people can mm-hmm. pull from and use. Right. So it takes a moment to get there. And the other thing is it's been working for so many years. Like I think yeah. very often, you know, people have asked like, why don't, you know, the bigger companies, do you think that they haven't done it because they don't care about you, about you and people with disabilities? No, I don't think it's because they don't care. I mean, there might be some people I'd like to think that those are the, the exception that most people are good and kind is that you just don't know until you know. I didn't know. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I was plugging along thinking I was doing my thing and doing it the nice right way. I couldn't quite see it until it was introduced. So, it did, you know, it, it I, again, it's that awareness piece. I, I do hope though more, more people, because that is the other thing that happens. Like you create something and you're like, great, here, let's create it and then decide who the customer is going to be. And then let's figure out how to be inclusive after the fact. If we're yep. doing the photo shoot, who should we invite into the photo shoot? It's a much more organic way to do this, right? Like if you invite everybody in when you're designing it, then those decisions don't are no longer difficult ones as you go down the path. You don't have to worry about who you're inviting in for the photo shoot and for the marketing and for the advertising because you design with them in mind from the beginning. It's not a hard, you know, it's not a hard leap 
you know, next to next next. It just happens mm-hmm. in that much more organic way. So uh, hopefully, hopefully people will, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that there is momentum and I think the yeah. more I'm, that's why I'm so glad you're here because this just introduces my audience to maybe a whole other, you know, brand and a whole other section of this community in this industry that they may not be aware of. So I'm so excited about that. Um, I do want to talk about the products because you didn't just stop at this powerful design. You also made sure that your products are cruelty-free, vegan, um, clean, how, like, did that factor in immediately? Is that something that from the get-go you were like, this is what I want to put out? How yeah. important was that for you? Where did that come from? Yeah, I might be out of my mind, but yes. I mean, I knew <laughs> I knew I wanted to, you know, <laughs> there was no doubt. First of all, I, I still like, you know, I'm creating these tools, but, you know, I'm a makeup artist. That's my world. And so um, I love beautiful pigments. I want like, I, and, 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 uh, you know, great formulas and things that blend. Like I, you know, I couldn't, one couldn't, uh, it couldn't be one or the other, right? Like form and function need to come together and nothing should be sacrificed. Like it was only going to be for the same reason that, you know, when you started thinking about inclusive design, universal design and, and, and accessibility, um, I wanted something that felt luxe. I wanted it to feel like a piece of jewelry in your hand. I didn't want it to feel like, you know, the, 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 you know, here's the special, uh, you know, here's a special, uh, whatever, whatever it is, zipper for you or, or whatever. So like, here's some ugly yeah. thing you can put on to make it for you now. Like it was all, it all had to be built in. And I wanted like, the whole point is I want you to be able to achieve those flawless techniques. I want you to get that look. Uh, so it all had to be in there. Cruelty-free had to be right. Like there was no, for me, there was just no other way. Like dig my heels in, forget about it. I know sometimes in life I have to bend. No way I'm bending on cruelty-free. Vegan mattered to me um, because I know it matters to a lot of people. And because I understood that vegan was going to ensure that I also, it was like an extra layer of assurance in what I was doing. Right. Uh, right. I'm a of, you know, my little furry and non-furry friends. Um, and also because, you know, when it came to sort of the quote unquote clean, for me, that's about non-toxic. That's for me, that's about, you know, we brought on a specialist, um, our own chemist, um, who's also a dear friend of mine, who, you know, was able to help me and do the research um, so that, you know, because I think it's such a, a sort of wonky, hard world to maneuver. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, obviously, you know, whether you have health con- conditions or, or not, um, you know, what you put on your body absorbs into <laughs> your blood, goes into your system, like that matters. So for me, it meant we needed to make sure we were crossing off and make sure every single ingredient needed to be non-toxic. And what I didn't realize before I started the process, when I said it needs to be non-toxic, we need to be mindful in our formulation is, and one of the things she taught me was it's sometimes it's an ingredient and sometimes it's the way the ingredients interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And so it took on a whole new level of that I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're in, at that point, if you're in, like we're now custom tooling, we're, it's all in. Like if it's going to take two and a half or three years or three and a half years, it's like we're in it. Right? There's no reason not to do it and do, like, if I'm, and do it to the highest level possible. Because you know, I want to be proud of it. You know, it, it kind of goes back to like 
you know, when somebody says like, what recommendation would you give to somebody like starting a brand and would you, what else would you do? It's kind of that, like, make sure you're passionate about it because it's not easy. Right. Like, and I would not have been, I would, I would have lost passion. It would not have been exciting to me. Like I needed to, it needs to feed your soul. And all mm-hmm. of those elements were part of that process for me. Like it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to lift me and feed my soul. I wasn't going to feel good about it any other way. So kind of had no choice. I love that. Just know thyself. Right. And, right. and just Sometimes, stay, right? stay true to that. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, it starts with knowing your face. Right, your makeup right. and then the rest <laughs> of your soul comes after. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, knowing yourself is a work of certainly a work in progress. Yeah. I don't think that work ever stops to be honest, but <laughs> it, it just like it has its hardships. It oftentimes also has it's like amazing, beautiful, cry worthy, enjoy moments. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I love a good cry. <laughs> I, I love, love a good it. cry. <laughs> It's it's healthy for you. It's so it years ago, I'm probably TMI, but years ago I had gone to a therapist and like like I walked into the room and he's like, So how are you? And I was like, Oh my goodness, are we starting? Like is this too? He's like, I just asked you how you are. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I like the pressure. And I remember he's like trying to dig in. He's like, one of these days I'm gonna get you to cry. I was like, I don't do that. That's never gonna happen, right? Like mm-hmm. forget it. I don't cry. Fast forward, I don't know how many years. I can't like I cry at everything. I'm like, oh, thank God I learned how to do this. <laughs> like yes. this is amazing. What was wrong with me for all those years? I love this. And forget not telling people things. Be open. It's so much better. Yes. No, I love that. I I also was very much like, I don't cry. I just keep it all in and I keep mm-hmm. moving forward. And that's not healthy like that eventually physically manifests itself in a way that you can't avoid noticing but I um my current therapist if we're getting into TMI I want to share too um my my current therapist we do like uh I don't know if it's called like ecotherapy or nature therapy but we basically meet in this secluded part of a local park and I live in northern California so the national and local parks are plenty Yes. Um, and so we meet, we sit on a picnic bench and we just go through whatever feels like it needs to happen. And so there was one session where I was dealing with, you know, processing some grief and really trying to push it down. And mm-hmm. she was like, walk over here with me. And there was this sturdy, sturdy oak that was like the trunk of it was at a 45 degree from the ground. And she's like, do me a favor, just lay on this trunk of this oak and just let yourself hang, like let your arms hang down, let your legs hang down and just look up at the sky, look through the branches and just be in this moment. And when I tell you that I cried nonstop for 20 minutes and had one of the biggest epiphanies and then I was like, oh, okay. So now I'm at the point where I know crying is healthy and sometimes I will try to cry. And those old mechanisms are like, no, no, no. And so I'm like, no, we're going to cry. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to feel better because this, this is who we are now. So yeah, I agree. I think it's super healthy. I love that. I actually love that. It is amazing. I love that. Nobody's ever brought me outside into nature to do that. It's funny because I had gone to somebody here. I was like, it's a healthy thing to do. And it was inside. And I forget what the type of therapy was, but he's like, close your eyes. I want you to imagine a, Imagine, like first I had to imagine like my 
my happy place. And then I had to imagine a box where I was going to put things that I that I needed to talk about, but I could pause them for later. But it didn't mm-hmm. work because I was sitting in, I couldn't get myself, like he was sitting across from a desk in an ugly little mm-hmm. cubicle and I, he's staring at me and I'm like, I, probably if I just walked outside, I would have been like, this mm-hmm. is my happy place. And I'm just like, I could, I probably might've been able to connect a little bit more because it was just too, the environment was too controlled, right? Yeah. Yep. Those fluorescent lights are never good for anyone. They're no good. No, they're never <laughs> not good for makeup, not good for therapy. Nope. nope. <laughs> After Absolutely a call, not. You never look good under those words. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, your, your products hold up to cries. That's all I have to say. I don't know whether you intended them to. I know they're not yeah. technically written as waterproof, I don't think. Are they? The, uh, yeah, the eyeliner is waterproof. Yeah. Not- or not, you know, obviously oil proof. So use the primer if you got the oily lids, it's okay. <laughs> but yep. eyeliner is waterproof. Um, and the um, brow is water resistant. And the mascara is a tubing formula. So oh. it has the wear of the waterproof, but actually gets removed with water. So definitely not waterproof because you need the water, warm water to pull those yeah. gratifying little tubes right off of your lashes. <laughs> I love it. That's why it's called lash wrap, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. For it is a like the packaging is very luxury. The formulas are luxe and high performance and clean, like we talked about, and vegan and cruelty-free. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that they're also at a very accessible price point for everything that you're offering. Thank you. I really appreciate that because that, that's a hard one, right? Like you, yeah. the pricing that like, you know, in terms of like creating a world that's ex- as accessible as possible, mm-hmm. you know, obviously pricing points are, can be limiting. And so how you figure that out and sometimes, you know, you have to get to a certain level before you can change things. And so, you know, we want, we knew obviously it's a prestige brand, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a point, but, you know, and I won't obviously give names of brands, but there's certain brands in the prestige space that are just so out of, you know, and, and that's okay, right? But they're mm-hmm. like just so out of range in, in price. And so we wanted to stay at, to the lowest end possible to be as accessible as possible, as accessible as possible. And the other thought I had was, if you know, if we are going to hit this price point and try to make it as accessible as, as accessible as possible from the pricing side, um, in a luxury, you know, sort of prestige space, can I can I give more in the product itself? So that like the eyeliner, I mean, I you know, at this point, I the, the joke is like you can your your you can your grandkids can hand it down to their grandkids. <laughs> like it takes a minute to get through that eyeliner. Yeah. But, but and it's a very different type of formula. So there's obviously there's like let's talk about going back to like the, the learning curve. People are expecting one thing, they look at it and they expect it to be that soft sort of texture where you're just scooping it up and you're just working on thin layers on the surface. So as long as you keep that airtight container closed, that eyeliner is gonna last you, right? Like obviously depending on use. So um, but so thank you for saying that. And now in the if you look at the brown mascara, the fill weights are pretty immense, right? Like yeah. So so um, hopefully people find the value. I think so. I think I think people do realize the value. And if they don't, I'm saying it right now. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm also wondering, because you've had so much insight to share through your whole journey. You had mentioned people always ask like 
when you're starting a brand, what's your biggest piece of advice? But I would love to learn to know throughout this entire process, like from that first little locked door Chanel moment to <laughs> now present day, what what is perhaps something that you've learned, be it a lesson, be it a quote, be it a state of mind, whatever it may be, what is something that you've taken with you that just gives you that kind of those soul fuzzies? Oh, that's a good one. There's probably a lot of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I do often say like, you know, life happens, right? And, you know, none of us, at least I've yet to meet anybody who goes through it unscathed. Uh, and I think, though, it doesn't make it any easier. You don't wish for those moments. And you, whatever that is and whatever scale of, of hardship that moment is, whether it's a business moment, whether it's a health moment, whether it's a family, whatever it is, personal business across the board, uh, you need to have the time to process, mourn, so that you can move on. Doesn't mean you ever have to let go, right, completely, but it's there. But if somewhere in the back of your mind, you can just hold on to the to the knowledge that, at least in my own life experience, if you just give it a minute, if you just wait long enough, something beautiful will be born. Again, it doesn't mean that you would choose the hardship, but mm-hmm. if you can look ahead and it's hard, right? Because inevitably that does happen. And so mm-hmm. there's something to be learned. There's some gain. You know, I never in a million years would ever have thought I would say, well, thank goodness I got this Parkinson's, right? Like not to make light of, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, you know, I've been fortunate to this, to this point in, in, in my, you know, in the progression of, of my disease. Um, and, you know, there are hard times and there's certainly people have it harder and, and so on and so forth. But um, it's hard to be completely angry at that moment because I never would have been able to see what I can see now. I never would have been able to do what I do now. And I always look at my husband works in the social service space. And I always used to say to him, like, I love what I do. And I don't ever want to downplay how good it feels when you, when somebody recognizes their own beauty, right? When somebody feels good and feels celebrated when they're in a makeup chair, I think there's so much value in that. But on a day when, you know, my past years, when the red came out a little bit more raspberry, there was a little too much blue and not enough orange or whatever it is. And I was like, ah, this is the worst thing that ever happened. You know, his days in social service and, and the work he does, you know, very impactful. And as hard as it was, I knew, you know, I always I thought at the end of his days, he's going to be able to look back and feel really good about the difference he made, right? Like, he's like every day, as hard as it is, he still is happy to go to work. He can look in the mirror. He just feels good about the, the difference he makes. And so for me, again, I don't ever want to downplay the other because I think Makeup artistry has value to me in so many ways, my personal experience and what I think it gives to others uh, when you share it. Where I'm at now, I kind of feel like I get to I get to have that moment myself. Like if this, if, if people, because people are open to talking about it, if at the very least I can be part of the story, if I could help shift that narrative in some way, then yeah, I'll take Parkinson's because maybe things shift a little and maybe people will be a little kinder and maybe people will be a little bit more thoughtful and maybe somebody's day will have been impacted or life will be been impacted in a way it had before. And certainly, you know, I'm not Mother Teresa, but, but, <laughs> any means. but if I can just be part of that story and contribute, um, it, it's hard for it not to be worth it. So I, you know, I guess that is, you know, the path's going to be the path in your career and your life. Keep moving forward. You're allowed to crawl under the table, have your cry, 
just make sure you get back out from under that table and keep pressing forward because there's not many other options, right? And, and, and that is the other thing out of the hardships. Whatever that hardship was, if you give it, if you, if you give into it, then you stop, right? Then, you know, I had a, a terrible thing happened years ago where I lost somebody important to me. And I always think that's the other thing I look at, at now. And sorry, I feel like I'm going to take this to a whole other, a whole other place. But I always think, you know, what can I do in my life? Because there was a moment I didn't want to go on at all mm-hmm. like in life. What, what can I move forward with that would give value and purpose to his? Because he's not here anymore, right? Like there's just, there's, I guess it's see if, and, and connect with people. That's the other big moment, which is going back to that, not being able to talk to people in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I found a community of friends that were so loving. They're like family, so open and helped me in the process of learning to be that myself. Um, and that communication, that openness will help you through each step of the way. Like there's just always a way. And if you're starting a company, you're starting a business, if you are passionate about what you're doing, I guarantee you other people will follow you, right? Like it is, it, mm-hmm. it, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. Maybe not everybody. It doesn't need to be everybody. There's always enough people who will follow. If you are passionate enough, will find your vision, enjoy it. And, and, and they may have been sitting there in the wings saying, oh, thank goodness you're here. I've been wanting to do this forever. <laughs> I've been hoping this was going to come along. Just nobody else told me that they were thinking the same thing. So mm-hmm. you'll find your, find your people. Oh, that's so incredible. That is, yes. I think that those are lessons that I'm slowly learning myself. And it's, it, it once you get through something, at least in my experience, what I'm beginning to learn is, yes, there are the hardships and um, in whatever form they take for each individual. And it, it can be terrifying and it is not, it, it's, quitting or stopping or saying, I can't do this right now is not taking the easy way out because I guarantee you there's still going to be some regret. Or when you finally do push through that fear, you're going to look back and think, oh, well, if I had done this sooner, you know, and that's just things that I've been going through and exploring with my journey. Um, But yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think it's a highly intuitive life is being highly intuitive and, and, really hearing instead of just listening sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard not to get in your own way, right? Like for all the time throughout my career and I still struggle with it now. I wish I hadn't said this. I wish I'd done Mm -hmm. that. What if I had in the the mirror and my husband actually life lessons has always said to me, and again, in fact, if you can every night and every morning look in the mirror, when you get up before you go to bed and say, I know every decision I made has come from a good place was with well and thoughtful, well intended, you know, comes from you know the heart and the mind to, together, right? Like if I come from a good place, then I can then 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 Terry let it go. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're you're okay. You're doing okay. Mm-hmm. And 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 he'll give me that reminder as much as I need it, thank goodness, because mm-hmm. you know, as much as I can sit here and say, do this, do that, I need to remind myself constantly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and there are and there's certainly there are days where, you know, as much as I can also sit here and say, it's hard to be mad at the Parkinson's because I'm so happy with where I'm at. doesn't mean there aren't days where I am, you know, upset and, and, uh, you know, angry at it. And it's still, all of that is still okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the, the human experiences. Big, beautiful messes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it makes those, those happy, joyful wins, successes, 
moments, cries, whatever it may be, so much sweeter. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's when you get to find real joy, kind of have to see yin and yang, right? Like, yes. At least I think it's the yin and yang. I actually don't fully know what the definition is. <laughs> and also, I was saying it wrong for years. My brother is an acupuncturist and, and doctor of Chinese medicine. And I always said yin and yang. He's like, that's yeah. not, not, you're not saying that right. I was like, oh, I did not know that. <laughs> oh, I've been so, saying it wrong too. Okay. Well, I didn't know. Yeah. So, Learning, you learn, yeah. Yeah, close, I think. Close to 50 and, uh, yeah, and learning. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the learning ever stops, which yeah. is frustrating, but beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, else would there, what, what would there be left to do if we didn't have something yeah, more to learn? Exactly. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being here and sharing so much of yourself. Um, before I let you go, I have one final question question and I need you to be, you've been honest with me, very honest and vulnerable and open up to this point. And so I need you to give me your honest answer to this. Okay. I'm ready. Bracing ready? Yeah. Okay. Am I invited to the Bob Ross party? <laughs> you are the first person on the list. Are you kidding me? I will be. <laughs> you absolutely are invited. We will. Yeah. You, you are going to be the, the, the guest of honor at the Bob Ross party. That that's, that's what's going to happen. Are you, are you ready to travel to Florida? <laughs> I will happily go to Florida. I already have a few caftans yeah, and, I <laughs> and I just need the Bob Ross wig. Everything else I got. I'll get the wig. I think I still have some wigs, although I should probably get them clean. But yeah, I think I might still have some wigs. If you are if you are ever in this area, if you are ever in my neck of the woods, open door invitation anytime. And if I know you're coming, I'll play on the Bob Ross party earlier. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go have to I'm gonna just I'm getting flustered now. I'm gonna stop this recording and you and I are gonna we're gonna connect about this. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, y'all, what did you think of that conversation? I am just so, I left that conversation buzzing. Like I just had so much warmth and energy. It felt like I had like a cozy blanket that I was just burrowed into because it was just such a delightful conversation. Terry is so great. Um, Let me know your thoughts. Sound off. Leave me a voicemail on our hot, hot, whoa toll free hotline. The words came into my mind, but then they did not come out of my mouth. Um, so yeah, call the hotline, leave a voicemail, 877-THE-M-U-A-C-T-H-E-M-U-A-C. And let me know your thoughts on this episode. Let me know if you have any questions that, um, you know, I can answer any questions that any of my guests can answer, whether it is about products, whether it is about launching brands, business, literally anything you want to talk about, go ahead and leave me that voicemail, 877-THE-M-U-A-C. And that's it for me. I am out this week. Next week, I am back with another guest, another beauty brand founder, totally different vibe again. And I'm so excited for you to meet her. So come on back and be sure to follow me on the Instagrams where I will drop some hints as to who it might be. I am at at M-U-A Chronicle, M-U-A-C-H-R-O. I don't remember the rest. M-U-A Chronicle, all one word on the Instagram. So check it out there. And I will talk to you next week. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope everything that you're manifesting comes true for you and your growth comes gently. All right. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Give me that microphone.